Good to see you all this morning. It is a very difficult time these days. We're all tired of some of the disciplines, you know, the social distancing and the isolation and the masks and all the rest. The other day, I think I heard Dr. Fauci say something like, I know you're tired of it all, but we have to endure it a while longer in order to overcome this uh, this illness. Um, we certainly need to pray for our country and pray for our leaders. Uh, we constantly need to be in prayer for our nation and for people to be turned to the Lord in these times of uncertainty and upheaval. I want to lead us in a word of prayer for Mark and Nancy as they leave us. We're grateful for their ministry here, for their service here. And I know that college students are going off to college soon. I see some of them here this morning. Uh, When are you off to college? When are you going? Two weeks? Okay. Yeah, well, we, we uh, are great, grateful for we, when we have you, for as long as we have you, we pray that you'll be able to go to classes and that that will all be worked out. Let's, let me just lead us in a word of prayer before we open God's word. Lord, we turn to you because we need you. We turn to you because you are the Lord. You are God. You are our merciful Heavenly Father. We find rest and truth in you. Lord, we do commit uh, Mark and Nancy to you. We thank you for their ministry here. We pray your blessing on their future, your protection as they go to Mississippi, as they find their, uh, as they move into their home and as they uh, get into that place we pray your blessing your guidance we pray that they would find a good church and serve you there and honor you there father we commit our college students to you we pray your blessing and help for them these are difficult times lord when it seems as everything is up in the air will there be in-person classes will there be distance learning will it be both We pray for your help and your guidance for them and your blessing upon them. Father, we pray that you would give us patience and strength as we all endure these challenging times. We pray for Lori, who is traveling back from Ohio today. We ask your protection as she drives. And we commit ourselves to you, Lord, as we open your word. Your word we need to be instructed and taught and corrected We ask you to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in Mark 4. We're continuing our study of Mark's gospel. Let me just say that I'm here in the office through the week. You know, you can come in. We can have social distancing. We can meet together or I can come to your home if you would like we can you know we can do that we can sit outside or we can meet together if you would like to Uh, I've told Lori to stay home and work at home this week because she's coming back from Ohio and the the, uh, New York State guidelines suggest that caution as you come from other regions and so I've told her to stay home this week 
And Mike, Pastor Mike and Jess will be out of, out of uh, town this next week, so I'm going to be in the office by myself. So if you, uh, if you want to drop by, let me know you're coming, so I'll be sure to be here and we can talk and catch up. We're in Mark 4 this morning. And uh, I'm going to come to the passage in just a moment. Let me make some preliminary remarks. We don't want to be um, pushy when we witness. We don't want to be insensitive to others when we speak to them about the Lord. And yet there is a great uh, internal drive and desire to share the good news of Jesus with others because we know that all people need the Lord and we want them to know the Lord and so there is that great desire to speak for Christ to in some way represent him and uh, you know sometimes we feel uh, embarrassed or hesitant or uh, intimidated let me share a couple of examples when I was young I was young once uh, this was in I think it was in high school might have been 18, 17, somewhere in through there. I don't know exactly, but I, I was praying for my uncle. My uncle didn't know the Lord, and I was praying for him. Uh, what had happened, my uncle had lost a child at the age of eight. She had died, my cousin. My cousin had died of leukemia at the age of eight, and my uncle had become bitter and angry against God and against the church he rejected the church rejected God. So I was praying for him. So one time, here we were in a car together. He was driving. I was in the car. And, I, and I, so I had this desire. I'm going to speak about God. And I did. I don't know what I said. I was nervous and afraid. But I said something. And my uncle rejected my witness immediately. Um, but I asked, why was I embarrassed? Why was I hesitant? You know, why, why do we sometimes feel afraid? That's what we need not feel. Let me give another example. Randy Spears was one of our missionaries in our church in Buffalo, New York. I served a church in Buffalo for several years. Um, he was one of our missionaries. Who, he was with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He was a gifted linguist, linguist. He was an educated man. He had done his doctoral work in linguistics at the University of Buffalo uh, years before I had been pastor there. Anyway, he came back to preach one Sunday at our church in Buffalo. This is Riverside Baptist Church. And he shared that when he was doing his studies at the university, he felt intimidated by the scholarship and the learning of the professors in linguistics with whom he was studying. And he, he was embarrassed to witness to them about the Lord. Well, that Sunday morning, as Randy was speaking to us in the church, he was speaking from Colossians 1. about I think the message was entitled, The Cosmic Christ. The passage that says he is the firstborn over all creation. He is, nothing was created without him. That all things are sustained by his power. 
And he said, we don't have to be intimidated by anyone. We represent the Lord of all, who knows all things, who is infinite and powerful and wonderful and gracious. We certainly don't need to be intimidated. And yet he shared, this missionary shared, when he was a student, he felt those same feelings of embarrassment or hesitance and that's what we need to uh, overcome. Well, this morning, if you need encouragement, I think we'll find encouragement to bear witness to others and to share the good news with others in the parables that Jesus is going to tell this morning, the stories he's going to tell. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Mark 4. We're going to begin reading at verse 26. Mark 4, 26. He, that is Jesus, also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. End of the parable. Again, he said, verse 30, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. It's interesting to notice this last paragraph. Jesus is telling them stories, parables. Everyone likes a story. Children enjoy stories. Adults listen to stories. And Jesus is telling them stories, parables, to engage the mind and to make them think and to draw them toward the truth. Uh, notice it says he's explaining everything more fully to his disciples. So we have two parables here. The first parable, verses 26 to 29, appears only here in the Bible. That is, only Mark tells us of this little story. It's a very simple story, very simple parable, and only Mark gives us this account. It is interesting to think about which parables are unique to particular Gospels. For example, this is the only one that is unique to Mark. If it weren't for the Gospel of Luke, we would not know about the parable of the Good Samaritan or Lazarus and the rich man or the parable of the prodigal son. All of those very significant stories that Jesus told are unique to Luke. Well, this one is unique to Mark and only this one. It's a very simple story. A farmer sows his seed. The seed sprouts and grows and produces a crop all by itself. Notice the farmer is awake 
and he's asleep. Uh, the farmer uh, does not know how it grows. It says in verse 27, he doesn't, he doesn't know how it grows. Um, and then it says, all by itself. The soil produces grain. It germinates and buds and grows night and day while the farmer sleeps. The seed is growing and producing. You see, the seed is living. It's, it's living, and when given the proper conditions, the seed grows and sprouts and produces a crop all by itself. Well, the point of this little story, and it's a very simple story. Farmer sows seed, it grows all by itself, and then he harvests it. Well, the seed is doubtless, it means the word. The parable of the sower is something of a, a paradigm for other parables. And it says in verse 14, when Jesus was explaining the parable of the sower, he said, the farmer sows the word. So the seed is the word of God. In other words, the seed is the gospel. Um, this is the good news that is sown. The farmer sows the seed. And all by itself, it grows. It has life. It has power. And it grows by itself. I mean, the farmer doesn't know how. The farmer doesn't make it grow. It grows. It makes us recognize that the word of God, the gospel, has power all by itself. It has power. It has life. We're, we're reminded of what uh, Paul wrote. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and also for the Gentile. That's, that's the gospel. It has power. It is a word which we, we share. And it's a powerful word. You know, when we witness, we try to be, uh, we try to be persuasive. Or we try to be winsome and kind and gracious. We should be, of course. But the gospel's power is not limited to our persuasiveness or to our winsomeness. The gospel has power all by itself. That seems to be the principal idea of this little story about seed growing all by itself. Apart from the farmer, the farmer wakes and sleeps and he doesn't know how it goes, but it grows. Now, This is teaching us something that I hope encourages us. There is enormous power in the gospel. And we rely on that power. Now I want to tell you a story. I'm telling you a story to illustrate Jesus' story. <laughs> so children, you know, if you're doing something else, maybe you can just take a moment to listen to a story. This is a story that will be interesting, I think, to all of us. It's a story about a man named Francis Dixon who was an evangelist. I think he was based in England, an English evangelist. And um, he went to various places all over the world, on different continents, uh, telling the good news of Christ, preaching the gospel. You know, he had revival meetings or evangelistic events and uh, one time he was in Australia, in, um, in Sydney, Australia, and he was going to conduct a meeting there, a series of meetings. And um, 
Before he preached on one particular night, he had a man named Noel giving a testimony, telling about how he came to Christ. Well, Noel said, well, I was here in Sydney, the Sydney, Australia. I was here in Sydney. I was walking along George Street, and a little white-haired man came up to me, and he said to me, um, if you died today, would you spend eternity in heaven or hell? Think about it. And he gave me a tract. Well, I couldn't stop thinking about it. This, this is Noel telling his story. Uh, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was all I could think about. I knew that I would not go to heaven. And so I, I sought someone out and I became a Christian. Well, as Noel was sharing his story that morning or that evening, back in the back of the church, there's a woman that stood up and she said, you won't believe it. And she's calling out from the back, you know, sort of interrupting the meeting. You won't believe it. That's how I came to Christ. This little old white-haired man on George Street in Sydney, in, in our city, he gave me a tract. He said to me, if you died today, would you go to heaven or to hell? Think about it. And he gave me a tract. And I couldn't, I couldn't get away from his question. And I, too, came to Christ. So... So here's Francis Dixon listening to this, and he's kind of amazed. He's taking notes. He's taking careful notes of this. Well, anyway, uh, he goes off, leaves um, Sydney, and uh, he shared this story in conferences and meetings all over the world. And again and again, on various continents, whether in the meeting itself or between meetings, someone would come up to him and say to him, you won't believe this, but I was in Sydney and this little white-haired man on George Street in Sydney gave me a tract, asked me the same question, and I'm a Christian because of, of, his, of his prompting and his giving me a tract and his witness. Well, this was intriguing. One time, uh, this is all documented, apparently. He, he took notes and documented it all. One time he was in India for meetings in India. He's staying at the home of missionaries. And um, before the, the night before the meetings began, he was telling this story about this people all over the place, all in different continents who've come to Jesus because of this man in Sydney, Australia. Well, the missionaries stared at him. And then they stared at each other. And they said, yes, you won't believe it. But we are Christians and we are missionaries because of that little white-haired man in Australia on George Street. Well, that was it. Francis Dixon went back to Sydney. <laughs> he had to find this man see if he could find him and see if he could learn about him. He did find him. His name is Mr. Genter. G-E-N-T-E-R. Mr. Genter was still white-haired, but he was now old and frail and confined to bed, no longer out on George Street. And he spoke to Mr. Genter and he told him what he had what he'd experienced everywhere I go, all over the world. 
I hear about people who've come to Jesus because of your witness. Well, Mr. Genter, there in his room, began to cry. And Francis Dixon said to him, Oh, I didn't mean to offend. I hope I haven't hurt you. What's, what's wrong? And the, the, he said, I have never known of anyone who came to Jesus because of me. He said, I'm so, I'm so glad to hear this. And he was in tears. So now picture this. Here is this little man about to die, unaware that anyone has come to faith in Christ because of his witness, and there are people all over the world who've come to Jesus because of him. That, I think, is what Jesus is teaching in this parable. Farmer sows the seed. He scatters the seed. And all by itself it grows. It has life and it grows by itself. The farmer sleeps, the farmer gets up. The farmer does not know how it grows, but it grows. And it produces a great harvest. And indeed, the parable, this little story uh, reminds us that the Word of God is living and active. It's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It uh, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so, as we share the word, we're sharing a powerful, living word that people need to hear. Remember what God said through Isaiah. He said, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word infallibly accomplishes God's purpose. All we have to do is not keep it in the bag, but share it. Sow the word, share the gospel. Bring it to others. Notice that the parable does, this is a very brief parable, it does conclude with the harvest. The harvest in the various parables of Jesus seems to point to judgment day. There will be a day when this world will end, their judgment day will come, the harvest will be brought in. And that seems to be the point of the harvest in this parable. Well, so we are, we are learning then to have confidence in the gospel and also certainty in the kingdom because Jesus tells another parable. Notice how the second parable begins. You can just imagine Jesus um, uh, saying verse 30, uh, verse 30. He says, imagine people standing or sitting around him and, and standing around him and he says what's the kingdom of God like what what parable can I use to describe it that's what he says in verse 30 you know asking a question like that engages the listener what what parable can I use to describe the kingdom and then he t says well the kingdom of God it's like a mustard seed the mustard seed was proverbial among the Jews as the smallest of all seeds. Tiny little seed. It's like a mustard seed. 
You put it in the ground, the seed grows and sprouts and becomes a massive plant. Apparently the mustard plant can grow from anywhere from 4 feet to 15 feet in height. So that's what the kingdom of God is like. It starts out tiny, tiny, tiny and becomes massive. Well, that's interesting. Indeed, the kingdom starts small. The kingdom of God began with one solitary voice. Jesus. Jesus preached the message of the kingdom. Jesus was calling people to faith. Jesus came quietly. It was small. There was no PR campaign. There were no angels sweeping through the streets of Jerusalem. There was no armies. Uh, it was very quiet. The kingdom of God was revealed in Jesus, but in a very concealed or hidden way. You know, I'm reading a book that is a history of Rome right, right, right now. And um, I don't know, it's several hundred pages. It's written in a, by a real scholar, but it's written in a very popular style. Anyway, I'm reading this book on the history of Rome. And it's a fascinating story. It's a story of generals and armies and wars, war upon war upon war, bloodshed and cruelty and senators and the republic and Caesars. And Jesus of Nazareth has no place in the story, in this Roman historian's book. I don't believe Jesus of Nazareth is in the index. I checked that once. I was going to recheck it to be certain of it before I spoke this morning and I forgot to. I don't believe Jesus even appears anywhere. I mean, Christians do. Paul does because they have to. But Jesus of Nazareth was crucified under Pontius Pilate, a Roman procurator. And fascinatingly enough, the book, all the dates in the book are B.C. and A.D. You would think the author, a scholar from uh, Oxford University, you'd think he would have the sense to know that something very significant happened. But as he, but as he writes this history of Rome, no place for Jesus. Maybe that's part of what's meant by saying it starts, the kingdom of God starts as a mustard seed. One voice, very small. Jesus didn't float around in the, in the skies so that no one could deny that he was supernatural. They looked at Jesus and they saw a man. He was carpenter, carpenter's son. Who is this? Jesus was a quiet man. He didn't raise his voice in the streets. He didn't call attention to himself. He didn't use a megaphone. And he even died quietly. Exactly as the prophet had said, he was oppressed and maltreated, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a 
Like a ewe before her shears is silent, so he offered no protest. Quietly, Jesus offered himself and he suffered and he died at the, home, at the uh, hands of Roman soldiers. Jesus died on the cross. And you and I look at that cross and we are astonished knowing that he was suffering and dying the penalty for our sin, for you and for me. He died for us. He was the Son of God offering himself for our sin. He died quietly. He was buried. And the third day, he was raised again and things started to get noisy. After the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, they were preaching in the streets of Jerusalem, he's risen. This one whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And 3,000 were converted and the, the thousands and thousands came and the, 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 the Roman Empire was shaken by the noise that came from Jesus. The, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It starts small, but it becomes large and massive and growing. It becomes huge and powerful. So by A.D. 62, when Paul wrote Colossians from prison in Rome, he said the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Indeed, it had already come to Rome. It was all over the Roman world. It was spreading everywhere. These two little parables are teaching us that Christ himself will build his kingdom through his powerful gospel word. That's what this, these parables are teaching. And we are privileged to be encouraged by what he says. We may be encouraged because the word of God has great power. The gospel is a message that God use, uses. It does not depend on us. We don't have to be persuasive. We don't have to answer every question. All we have to do is to share the good news, love people and share the good news and God does the work. All by itself it brings forth fruit. We are cooperating with a sovereign God as we depend upon his word and rely on his Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage, I want you to be encouraged to share the good news, to Bring that word as the, as the farmer sows the seed to bring the word to others. Secondly, be encouraged because we may rest in the certainty of the coming kingdom. The kingdom of God is growing everywhere. The kingdom of God is growing and spreading and expanding. And God is at work also in the Hudson Valley and God wants to use us as... Um, as we cooperate with him. You know, as I come to that point in the sermon, I think of our vision statement. That's exactly what our vision statement is saying, that we want to be a people who are energetically loving. We have love for God and love for others, and we want to energetically be sharing the good news all across our area in obedience to Christ. The kingdom will come. That is certain. Let me remind you of one of the visions that John has at the conclusion of the Bible in the book of Revelation. 
I'm going to read from chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice and you can imagine the voice is probably so loud. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. We are part of that great work that Christ is doing and he will use you and me and so we may be encouraged to obey and to serve.